Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Paul had a lot of knowledge as he grew up sitting at the seat of Gamaliel, the great teacher and mentor of rabbis. But he wasn't willing to submit his whole life to the scriptures that Gamaliel taught. He wasn't willing to really buy everything. When it got hard, I believe 80% of it. I don't believe all of it. And that is the problem of wayward sheep that aren't willing to submit to the shepherd. Most of us think we're pretty good people. The average person doesn't commit first-degree murder or hold up a bank. But the uncomfortable truth is that even unconverted hearts, people who are not saved, can obey the commands of Christ. Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares, he explains the crucial difference between our external conformity to the rules of Christianity and our internal conversion to Christ. I'm Dave Drewy. And now here's Pastor Mike with part two of a message called Saul Fighting God. Number one, if you're taking notes, we need to see the rebellion in the pre-Christian life. You need to see the rebellion in every pre-Christian life. You need to see the rebellion in your pre-Christian life. Before you became a Christian, you had to get to the place where God had said, wait a minute, what you're doing is not right. No matter how socially acceptable it might be, it is not right because it is not in association and submission to the Son of Man who has all authorities to submit all people to himself. And here's the thing. Each of us has turned our own way, is by definition an act of rebellion against the leader if in fact that leader is justified in being our leader. And here's the thing about God. He is God and we are not. And until you recognize that and live that out in your life and say, yes, I submit to the Lord. I am confessing him as the Lord. That means I am not the Lord. Then we are in open rebellion to God. No matter how bad that is to your neighbors, it doesn't matter. And in that regard, you need to understand that sin in the Bible is primarily a state and not just an act. Some of us don't see it that way, but you need to start seeing it that way. In the Bible, it says, the day you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Die, right, means that there is this relational separation, just like death in the physical realm is you being separated from your body. And the reality is you and I are in nice, close, intimate, relational contact here, God and his creation. And now as moral agents, you've chosen to rebel and say, I'm going to go my own way because Satan shows up and tempts you and says, did God really say, why don't you just do what's good for you? And you think the apple is good. The fruit on that tree is good for food. It looks good. It's beautiful. It's going to make me wise. I want to do it even though God says, don't do it. I'm going to choose my own way. That is an act of open rebellion. And all she did was have lunch. It wasn't even lunch. It was a snack. What kind of moral rebellion is that? Very simple. You no longer saw God as God. You chose to do your own thing. But the Bible says from the very beginning, Psalm 51, from the very beginning, from the point of conception, the human being is at enmity with God, hostility with God. And what does that look like? They want to go their own way. They want to do their own thing. And ask any parent about that. Grandparents may not see it, but parents see it very clearly. Kids want to go their own way. I want to do whatever I think is right to me, whatever pleases me, And while that becomes more sophisticated and perhaps more immoral by social standards, it is basically the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. 
Those are the things in open rebellion to God. And Paul is now being knocked off his horse because of the way, which is Jesus. That's what he says. He is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is the way. And these followers, the disciples, the learners, the, the sheep of the way, the, the John 10 good shepherd said, hey, follow me. And those that say, nope, I'm going to follow myself. That's very important for us to recognize that that is a decision of rebellion against God. Now, jot this down. We won't take time to turn there, but Psalm 2 says that everyone is in that state, that they are in a place of living with an underlying impulse to no longer be shackled by the king. I don't want the king to bind me with his moral strictures. I don't want the, the Lord and his anointed to shackle me with anything that I don't want. And that's helpful for us to see because in that passage, it says the Lord sits there and holds them in derision. Why? Because they choose to go their own way. Can you be you know, like the president of the Rotary Club? Can you be a, a, a person who donates to Salvation Army and, and, and be at enmity with that? Of course. Can you help old ladies cross the street? Change somebody's flat tire on the freeway. Get your hands dirty and be late for an appointment and, and still be an enemy with God? Of course you can. Of course we can until we submit our lives to the king. It's called reconciliation. There's another biblical word for it, that I finally get right back in relationship with God. When he says, don't eat of the fruit, then I say, okay, I get it. You're in charge. You make the rules. I do what you say. And you know what the average person grates against? That truth right there. We don't want this man to rule over us. I can pick and choose whenever his will seems to kind of line up with my will, then I'm in. I'm cool with that. But as soon as you start telling me stuff that I don't like, well, then I'm not cool with that. There's a lot of things the disciples of the way were saying that Paul would agree with. But Paul did not agree with their understanding of Daniel 7. Paul did not agree with their understanding of Isaiah 53, which we already saw Stephen explaining to this, this Ethiopian in the previous chapter. Paul didn't agree with all that. He should have agreed with that because Jesus comes on the scene and proves that. But he says, I don't want to believe that. I'll believe this part. I'll believe that part. But I don't believe that part. And if you've never watched that, in an accelerated fashion, just watch the headlines about religion in America today. It's exactly where we're at. It's all really cool. I was in for about 90% of that, but everything in culture has shifted. Now I'm into about 70% of that, and next week I'll be into 60% of that, and eventually I'll basically say, I don't like but just 10% of that. We've seen that going on for all of human history. Did God really say, I don't like what he said there because it impinges on something that I want and something that I like and something that I think is reasonable? So that we get to the Isaiah 50 place of saying, God, I think if he were who I think he should be, he would be just like me. I mean, that, that's the paraphrase of Psalm 50. We thought God was altogether like us. That's how it's put. Why? Because he didn't judge us immediately. I ate the fruit and nothing happened. I might have felt guilty for a minute, but I'm okay. I wasn't zapped dead. So I'm going to keep going my own way and I'll have that fruit again tomorrow. We are in a position as regenerate people, to look back and say, yes, God at one point halted my life and said, you're in rebellion against the good shepherd. You do not follow in this flock. You don't hear his voice and you have not been following him. You've just been following your own dictates. You've been the master of your own soul, the captain of your own fate. You have been in charge. And you can see why this is a fundamental tenet of Christianity, that we have to, as Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44 through 47, we have to say, here's a treasure, it's worth having, and it requires that I give up everything that I've accumulated to that point. Rich young ruler, Matthew 19, hey, 
Give up everything and follow me. Luke 14, verse 33. No one can be my disciple unless they give up everything. What does that mean? Where do I cash it in? I don't get it. Is there a deposit slip, you know, in the back of of the track that I read? No, no, no. This isn't a literal turning in my money, right? It was for the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, because Jesus was there saying it. And if he shows up and says it to you, then it's a literal thing for you. But it's got to happen in your heart, according to Luke 14, 33. And here's the thing. I want to be in charge of my money. I'll even maybe agree, at least they used to. Maybe if 10% is his, I'll great. I'll give him that 10% but I don't, I don't really see my whole of life under the lordship of God, in particular, the lordship of Christ. And think about Paul. He had so many things right. I, I see myself as under the lordship of Yahweh, the Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, but I, I don't see myself under his Messiah. I just don't want to buy Daniel 7, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 40. I mean, the prophets, I, I, don't, I don't want to buy that question. Was Saul very sincere in his rejection of the way? Absolutely. Matter of fact, he's the only kind of rebel I can respect because you're all into that rebellion. You think you're doing right and you're all in. You don't live with this dichotomized hypocrisy. You think it's wrong and if it's wrong, it needs to stop. And he is a sincere zealot. But here's how he puts it later after his conversion as he writes to the Romans about the lost people that he grew up with. He says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, both these chapters, he starts with the idea of his concern for the lost. He says, in one case, I have an unceasing anguish in my heart for these people. And he said, here's why, because they have a zeal like I had, but it's without knowledge. Paul had a lot of knowledge as he grew up sitting at the seat of Gamaliel, the great teacher and mentor of rabbis, but he wasn't willing to submit his whole life to the scriptures that Gamaliel taught. He wasn't willing to really buy everything. When it got hard, I believe 80% of it. I don't believe all of it. You just got to see that for what it is. It certainly is an act of rebellion and a position of us being separated from what is right. Psalm 2, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, there are so many passages for us to digest in this regard, to make the simple truth that I don't think I have to spend much breath convincing you of if you sit here as a regenerate person this morning, and that is, you're right, I was, no matter how socially acceptable I might have been, even ecclesiastically acceptable. The church accepted me, but my heart was in open rebellion to God because I only went so far. I wanted him to fill in the check before I signed it. I wasn't willing to sign the check before he filled it in. And that is the problem of wayward sheep that aren't willing to submit to the shepherd. Well, he gets knocked off his horse. I even like the way in English it's put here between verse 2 and 3. He's going to find people belonging to the way, quote-unquote. Now, he went on his way. You won't find that as clear as a play on words in Greek as it is in English, but he can go on his own. He can do his own thing. Well, you know, when you do your own thing, you're chafing and grating against me. What you're doing is actually damaging my people. So he gets thrown to the ground in verse 4. He asks the question in verse 5, who are you, sir? Who are you, heavenly one? He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now look at verses 6 and 7. I got some things for you to do. Arise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. 
The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. I just want you to recognize what's happening now. The one I thought was dead, and I rejected him, so I was believing 80% of the Old Testament, but not 100%. Now I see this one in the 20% is actually real, and he actually did rise from there, just like he said he would, just like the Old Testament says he would in Isaiah 53. But I rejected that. Now I accept it. Now I embrace it. Uh, and now he's speaking to me, and he says, go to Damascus, and then we're going to learn in verse 10 and following, I'm going to get this guy named Ananias. He's going to come as the vessel and messenger and, and tool instrument by which you're going to come to faith in Christ, but you're now convinced intellectually, and you should do what I tell you. And he does. He, he gets up in and, and verse 8, and he goes. He does what he, what he was told. And I would argue that later, not only in his recollection of how his testimony plays out. But even as we'll see in the rest of chapter nine, here is Ananias bringing him a message, which we don't have a record of what all he said, but it leads him to do what Ananias says, and that is to call on the name of the Lord, to have his sins washed away and to be baptized, the first statement of identification, the living out of my identification with Christ. I mean, think about this. The one who was wanting to kill people who had been baptized is now gonna say, I stand with Christ, I'll be baptized. But between here and there, what's happening? He's doing what Christ said. Follow me now on this. He's doing what Christ said. But that intellectual being, being intellectually convinced that he ought to do what Christ said is preceded, is preceding, I should say, what he's going to do later, and that is to call on the name of the Lord. As he says in Romans chapter 10, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. He's gonna be saved. But right now, he's intellectually convinced enough to say, I'm going to do what he says. Not only that, God put an exclamation point on it by blinding him. <laughs> that kind of helps you do what he says. And so he is obeying Christ, and I would argue, but not yet saved. And I just want you to understand that because that will help you figure out a lot about your testimony. Number two, let's understand pre-Christian obedience. I want you to think about that. And even if you want to argue with me, well, I think he was saved right here because he said the word Lord. Well, I would argue with that. I don't think that's what's taking place here. But even if you want to if I want to grant you that in this debate, great, fine. Let me ask you this. Did Judas ever obey Christ? Was Judas ever obedient to Christ? Now, you can start to get esoteric and think you're super spiritual. Well, yeah, but not really. But really. When Jesus says to Judas, pair up with this guy and go into that village, did he pair up with that guy and go into the village? I'd say that's obedience. That's obedience. And you can say, well, let's parse that out. He, may have been, he might have been, as my old illustration says, he might, have been, he might have been sitting on the outside, but he was standing on the inside. Okay. But when my kids, as kids, did what Ephesians chapter 6 says, verse 1 and 2, which is to obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. And, and I said, be home by 10 o'clock. And they were home by 10 o'clock because they knew that that's what dad said and that's what the Bible says and that's what God wants. And so they did it. They may have not done it as happily as you might want someone to do it, but they obeyed Christ. And I just want to say this, whether you're buying the point of conversion that I'm trying to articulate about Saul here, Saul is obeying Christ before he's a Christian. Judas obeyed Christ and never became a Christian. There's a lot of people, like Cornelius we're going to meet in the next chapter, He's a, a Roman. He's fearing God. Here's the three things said about him. He's giving alms generously to the people of Israel, and he's praying all the time. 
Those are things that God wants you to do and God has said you should do. He's doing all those things. He's obeying the scriptures. Do you think Paul was obeying the scriptures? Sure he was. Now he's even obeying Christ. But he's not saved yet. Now you're going to think this is a contradiction of what you've heard from this platform many, many times. But it's not. So just hold. We can hold two thoughts at one time. Ready? Here's the first one. Just because you started obeying Christ does not mean you're a Christian. So when you look back in your testimony, a lot of people can be fooled. Well, this is when I started going to church. This is when I started going and and reading my Bible. This is when it all started making sense to me. I must have been saved then. And I'm saying, "Mm -hmm." it made a lot of sense to Paul at this point to obey Christ. It made a lot of sense to Paul that what he thought about Christ before was wrong. It made a lot of sense to a lot of people to do a lot of things that were biblical and Christian, but it didn't mean they were Christians. So if you're looking at your testimony and saying, well, I want to celebrate my testimony, well, one thing about it, if I'm going to dust it off and polish it up and set it there, not as a revisionist, I'm not trying to rewrite history, but looking back at my testimony, I want to be able to say, well, the first thing I know is this, that no matter what kind of life I lived, I was in open rebellion to God. I was not following the shepherd. Christ was not my Lord. And then I want to say, well, when did he become my Lord? When, did, when was I regenerate? When did this thing happen, this born-again experience that Nicodemus was struggling with in John 3? Well, I'm going to say, don't get confused that the points of obedience, when you start to see a pattern of obedience, well, that was when I became a Christian. Now, that's thought number one. Thought number two is, well, don't you always say that obedience, like James 2 says, is, a, is an expression of fruit, and that is the proof and verification of my salvation? And the answer is yes, of course it is. Now, how can this be true? Think about this now. Here's what I know. Unconverted hearts can obey the dictates of Christ, but converted hearts are going to obey the dictates of Christ. And I'm going to say, if we start looking in scripture, there's another layer beneath all this. I can't be fooled because one doesn't have the motive of devotion to Christ, at least not the way that it will as born-again Christians. We abide in the vine, we'll bear fruit. There's something organic about my connection with Christ after my conversion that produces fruit that's different than the quote-unquote plastic fruit that I get prior to my Christianity. If you've heard me talk about this before, you might have heard about an external conformity to Christianity and an internal organic conformity to Christianity. To obey the dictates of Christ because of the external pressure, which can be a lot of things, to fit in, I don't want to displease my parents, I don't want my wife to think I'm I'm a jerk, whatever your reasons for external, you can do those things that Christ said. I'm going to pray, I'm going to do devotions, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to give my money. Okay, well, that's external conformity. And I say it with that kind of tone because I'm like, yeah, even if it's done with a a willingness, there's a sense of, it's what I should do. There's a should and ought, and then there's a want and an organic expression of my love for God. Those are different. And I'm not saying that Cornelius wasn't praying sincerely before he became a Christian. But I am saying this, that when I start looking at my life, I know this about a lot of my prayers. There are good motives and there are selfish motives. James chapter 4 says, one of the reasons you ask and don't receive is because you ask with wrong motives that you might spend it on your pleasures. So I know that. That's an extreme example of something saying, here is a good deed. It's a good deed, but it's done with an imperfect motive. Matter of fact, it's a bad motive. When Mary took the spikenard and, and poured it out, and Judas stands up and says, don't. Could have been sold for a lot of money, and we can give it to the poor. 
Everyone believed what he said at the time. So much so did they trust him that no one suspected him at the, at the Last Supper when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And everyone trusted enough for him to be the treasurer of the disciples. But John looks back in retrospect and says, I realize now he used to help himself to the till. No wonder our budget's never balanced because he didn't really care about the poor because I see later in his apostasy, I get what's going on in his heart now. So he puts the pieces together and says, the motive of caring for the poor, it's not really for God. It's not for God completely. And even him pairing up and going into villages and sharing the message of the kingdom because Christ was coming, all his obedience and missionary efforts, not really from a converted heart. I could go all morning long with characters from church history that you know, Spurgeon, Augustine, I can go down the list. Augustine might be an example of a contrast that I even put his confessions on there as a reading book this week. But the idea of people like the Wesley brothers who were engaging in the work of ministry prior to their conversion. So if you say, well, I've always been a Christian because I've always gone to church and I've always sang the songs and I had a few goosebumps when I sang the songs and I, I learned the verses and I was, I've never, you know, I never, I never had sex before I got married. I never took drugs. I never, I, I came home on time. I was a Christian. I've always been a Christian. You're, you're equating obedience to Christ as like no other things in the, in the equation, just obedience to Christ. I'm obeying Christ. I must have been a Christian. That's why it's harder for church kids that are listening to me right now who grew up in the church. They go and they hear the testimonies that I heard growing up because they only picked those guys to give their testimonies who stood on the stage, oh, I was the worst person ever. I killed 18 people and I hooked everybody in Santa Ana on drugs and I was a pimp and you know they went on and on, but now I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm like, whoa, you have a testimony. I don't have a testimony. Never been a pimp. I mean, I've never, I never sold drugs. I, 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 I came home on time. So you've always been a Christian? No, that would be the fallacy of saying conformity to the commands of Christ. That means you're a Christian. Are you tracking with me on this? Just because you may be acting like a Christian for a long time doesn't mean that you're actually saved through faith in Christ. It's an important distinction. You're listening to Focal Point with pastor and Bible teacher Mike Fabares in a message titled, Saul Fighting God. And today's message is part of this month's sermon series called Amazing Conversions. Listen to the full-length version of this message or any of our other messages when you visit our website, focalpointradio.org. Here at Focal Point, we exist to reach, teach, and train followers of Christ. And we thank God every day that we're able to air this program on more than 800 radio stations across the country and worldwide, but we can't do it alone. So if you value Pastor Mike's no-nonsense teaching, then I invite you to help us share these messages with more and more people by sending in a generous donation today. We rely on God's provision through listeners just like you. When you give, you're helping us reach more people with the life-changing gospel of God. So please support this ministry by giving to Focal Point by calling 888-320-5885 or go online to focalpointradio.org. And to thank you for your support this month, we'll send you a compelling collection of A.W. Tozer's classic teaching titled, Men Who Met God. It's a survey of several biblical figures who had the tremendous experience of walking and communing with God in the coolness of the afternoon, through a burning bush, in personal discussion, or by another divinely inspired method. 
This book is our gift to you when you give to Focal Point. Get in touch today by calling 888-320-5885 or contact us online at focalpointradio.org. Now, if you've never contacted us before, please get in touch and we'll send you this month's free gift, a helpful pamphlet about the 12 disciples. These were 12 regular men whose lives were changed when they accepted the invitation to follow Jesus. Find out more when you request your free resource online at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you back again tomorrow as we take a closer look at Saul's transformation into the Apostle Paul and discover what we can learn from his amazing conversion. That's coming up Thursday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastormike or twitter.com slash pastormike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.